Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lost in Science Summer Series. Yes, as is our tradition, we are taking a little bit of a break over the month of January and, uh, you know, collecting all the science, doing some of our own research perhaps. Um, And to be able to do that for you, we are going to provide you, I guess, a bit of a look back at some of the stories from our archives, some of the highlights from the past year. And this week, I thought I'd bring you some news you can use. So we have Claire with a story about what you can and can't flush down the drain or sewer and the reasons, the scientific reasons for those decisions. Um, Slight spoiler alert, there's not a lot of weird things that you are allowed to flush down. So yeah, um, be a bit careful. What you're sending down those pipes is what we have to say. Uh, and Stu will be with us as well from a story back uh, earlier in April 2023 talking about new research into ways that you can prevent or pull people away from believing in conspiracy theories. Uh, conspiracy theories are something we've had a lot of in the last few years. So, yeah, it's really grateful to Stu for um, yeah leading the way out of it. Or is he... Yes. Yes, he is. Anyway, a couple of great stories for you on the show today. So let's get on with it. Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations. To boldly go where no radio has gone before. It is pretty tempting to use our drains and our sewage system as a bit of a bin, not really give much thought to what we're putting down the drains, down our toilets. Uh, Maybe you're tempted to pour down used cooking oil or down the sink or, you know, turn on the tap. It just just removes all sins. Ask Pontius (laughs) Pilate. Or maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe you've got a half-used tin of paint in the cupboard that, you know, you've been tempted to pour down the drain. Or maybe you've been flushing wipes or bamboo nappy liners. Um, or maybe you've been flushing the cat poop down the litter tray. Well, this week, you know, if you relate to any of those, boy, I've got the lowdown in the ground for you. I've got the, I don't know if that pun works, the lowdown on the ground, just, just, in the ground, under the ground. Just go with the flow, Claire. Just go with the flow. <laughs> just go with the flow. Oh, gosh. Um, because, you know, all those habits, they can cause big problems in your house. 
They can cause problems in your backyard. Um, so let's have a look. And first of all, let's have a look at the things that can go down your drain that you might pour down your sink that might cause problems. And um, according to uh, some water utilities, the worst thing that you can pour down your drain is fats and oils. Oh. Now, yeah, yeah, it's the worst thing. And, you know, fats and oils, they do not mix with water. They are, as they say, as we say in science, immiscible, immiscible. But you know how it is when, um, like, the cooking oil is nice and hot and it flows really easily. It does flow really nicely, doesn't it? And it's like... It's tempting. Yeah. But yeah, it is tempting. This is how we get fatbergs, guys. This is how we get fatbergs. And when they're hot, they pour very easily. Um, but down the sewer pipes, they cool down. They cool down very quickly. Um, and it's very cold down there because there's not a lot of heat. So what ends up happening is um, oils do not mix with water. They do not dissolve um, and they end up cooling and solidifying. And like Stu just said, it spells disaster and the fatberg. It spells F-A-T-B-E-R-G, fatberg. Um, It's actually quite a serious problem. It's estimated about 30% of sewer blockages are due to fats and oils. Um, and, yeah, what we mean by fatbergs is all these oils, fats and greases, they combine with other materials down the, d- that, you know, that might go down the sink or down the toilet. I'm talking uh, all the gross things you can imagine. So if you don't like, you know, imagining gross things, then maybe tune out for the next 10 seconds. But imagine all of the waste of your hair and flushable wipes that aren't actually flushable combining into – a giant monstrosity that is a fatberg. Um, you know, th- there's, there's fatbergs that have been bigger than buses, bigger than houses. And don't, oh, don't forget all that other gross stuff in there like skin and all of the other bits <laughs> of your body parts that end up down the drain. It's, it's a whole lot of gross stuff that somebody has to go and unclog. Think, exactly. Think of the poor guy down there, the poor think worker. Of the poor person. And, and they get quite hard too, don't they? These these continual papers. I I remember going years ago to to the, the London Museum in London. They had like a segment of a fatberg in the museum mm. just to show what it was like. And yeah, it was like a, a rock almost. Yeah. Well, those oils um, are like the glue that glues the you know they they're the mortar and the flushable wipes are the bricks of the fatberg of the bricks and mortar fatberg and then your hair is like the um the the rio <laughs> it's disgusting human rio human rio oh gosh it actually um took uk workers 2 weeks in 2021 to remove a fatberg from london sewers as big as a house so um yeah think about them it can it can cause a lot of havoc um yeah so what do you do instead of putting it down the sink well some councils offer recycling for cooking oils small amounts of cooking oil also can be composted or tipped on the garden don't go too overboard with this i'm sure you'd agree with me Stu, um because it can trigger anaerobic or you know um uh, decomposition that has no oxygen in it, so that can cause rotting and stink, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah the, as you said, the anaerobic bacteria are the ones that, that take over when there's a lack of oxygen, and they're the ones that make the real stinky smells in people's compost piles. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, even even worm farms, if you don't have enough worms in there, can suffer from the same thing. So, it's yeah, it's not advisable. And it also forms an impenetrable layer because it doesn't mix with water. So if you pour it on your soil, yeah. water mm. can't soak into the soil. It can't get down to your plant mm. roots and things. So really the best idea is to put it into the landfill, unfortunately. Um, you know, we don't like more landfill, but it is better than going down the sink and it's better than going in large quantities into um, into the soils. Um, so up next, paint, old paint. I'm sure everyone's got half a tin of old paint lying around. How do you get rid of it? Um, water services say all paint, all oils, lubricants, pesticides, thinners, none of that should go down the sink. They contain hazardous chemicals. They can cause sewer pipe damage, uh, uh, environmental pollution, create fumes that are dangerous for people who work down in the sewers. So, um, uh, you know, people who are working in the sewer system, they have they have to squeeze into incredibly tight small spaces and the quality of air that they breathe down there is, um, you know, it reflects what people are putting down their sinks and flushing down the toilet. So some of the chemicals that you, like all of the chemicals that you pour down there will end up in the sewage system and um, if they are reactive chemicals, like, you know, some of them may be, especially if they're, um, you know, paints and uh, and pesticides and all that sort of thing they can they can create explosive conditions so yeah sewage sewage workers have been killed from dangerous fumes so instead what you should do especially with old paint i found this website it's called paintback.com.au it is a free service across australia and you find your nearest location you just put in your address find your nearest location and you can drop off your old paint for no charge. So that was paintback.com.au. So there you go. All right, so that's things you shouldn't pour down the sink. Now to the drain, to the flushing. Um, and first up, as a community service announcement, I want to reiterate um, just what the water treatment professionals tell us. There's only three things, that, three Ps that go down the toilet. Three Ps. Well, three letter, letter Ps. That is P, poop, and toilet paper, toilet paper, anything else and your risk of clogging up the sewage system um, and, you know, creating health hazards and um, environmental issues. So things like those so-called flushable wipes that are not actually flushable um, but also other non-flushable objects. So things, something that I've come into contact with over the last nine months are bamboo liners in cloth nappies. Yeah. Now – these bamboo liners, some ad, some companies advertise that they are able to be flushed down the toilet. They're not actually wipes, they're these liners, and um, it's questionable um, considering they're pretty solid. They're made out of bamboo fibres and they don't break down in water. They're not part of the three Ps. So after a bit of research, it really does look like, no, they're not flushable. They're just like any other wipe. Don't put them down the toilet. Um, the only difference with the bamboo liners is they are compostable. Uh, so you can put them in your compost, but do so only with the pea-soaked ones. Don't do that with the poop-soaked ones because uh, poop in human compost is a no-no. <laughs> Unless you're really set up for that, which most of us aren't. Um, and then the last thing to mention here is cat poo. 
Now, some people teach their cats to poop in the toilet or empty the poo from the litter into the toilet. And a quick research of this seems to be that judging um, that the experts say that is not cool and it's mostly for health and safety reasons, specifically potential transfer of uh, toxic our, <laughs> our, um, the, a disease we all know and none of us love, toxoplasmosis. It's an, it causes issues with pregnant people. It's a really nasty one and it's transferred through cat poo. So um, because it is an issue and can get into the system and can end up um, either out in the water or um, even some, some people suggest maybe in marine mammals, the best, um, the best advice is don't flush your cat poo down the toilet. Just put it into the bin, same as your dog poo. Um, and remember, if you are unsure about, you know, flushing or um, putting anything down the sink, it is best to err on the side of caution, put it in the trash, and then, you know, we can ensure that our wastewater management systems thrive, leaving us all with a flush of pride. <laughs> General, we look for new law by the following process. First, we guess it. <laughs> then we compute. Well, don't laugh. That's what really true. Then we compute the consequences of the guess to see what, if this is right, if this law that we guess is right, we see what it would imply. And then we compare those computation results to nature. Or we say compared to experiment or experience. Compare it directly with observation to see if it, if it works. If it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong. In that simple statement is the key to science. It doesn't make a difference how beautiful your guess is. It doesn't make a difference how smart you are who made the guess or what his name is. If it disagrees with experiment, wrong. That's all there is to it. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Now, conspiracy conspiracy theories have been in the spotlight over the last couple of years, but they're obviously nothing new. Um, you know, the moon landing hoax has been uh, a claim uh, at least as long uh, as the film Capricorn One came out, which is about the American government faking a Mars landing, not a moon landing, but 
certainly the uh, the increase in in lunar landing hoaxes peaked after that or still it's still rising i think but you know certainly jumped up in in numbers but conspiracy theories today seem to have a much more politically divisive angle whether it be qAnon or covid vaccine conspiracies the divisions they're causing in society are a problem and they're you know they're finding their way into courtrooms and houses of parliament and various government agencies from time to time uh, and there's even concern that far right groups are deliberately fueling conspiracy theories that challenge mainstream information in order to grow just general dissent in the population, which undermines legitimate governments all over the world, and it helps, you know, far right uh, extremists to win people over to their to their um, cause, I suppose. Um, but you know, with with all this in mind, it's worth considering how to approach conspiracy theories and and try and help people who promote them to see the ways in which they're often damaging and possibly even dangerous. There are even studies that show a connection uh, between people who subscribe to conspiracy beliefs and, uh, you know, avoidance of healthcare, as well as extremist and sometimes violent behavior. So there's, there is good reason to sort of, sort of figure out how we can potentially stop these um, irrational beliefs as well. Um, so a great deal of research into interventions in conspiracy theories has shown often very little impact in many of the methods that have been tried to influence or to reduce conspiracy beliefs in people. Um, but an Irish team of researchers have just published a systematic review, which is, you know, a pretty high level of of scientific review. They've looked at a lot of studies and narrowed it down and found studies that fit their criteria, which was pretty rigorous as well. So they started off with over 2,000 studies and narrowed it down. But um, they've, they've basically looked at interventions designed for the purpose of reducing people's belief in conspiracies and have found that while many are not very effective in, in doing that, uh, there may be some ways to help, and there's particular ways to approach the issue. So the study was published in PLOS One. They ended up with, you know, as I said, they started with 2,000 studies. They narrowed it down to 13 studies that included intervention into conspiracy beliefs between or within groups of adults, as in over 18 with no clinical psychiatric afflictions. So they tried to exclude as much noise from this review as they possibly could by having quite rigorous uh, criteria to, to choose them. Now, this seems to me like something that is quite difficult to study. So like a systematic review, I guess, for people who don't know too much about that, it is, as you say, you get a whole lot of other studies that have examined uh, an issue and you try to combine them all together to get sort of, I suppose, maybe, you know, a consensus or a um, uh, an overall view of, of what works for something. Um, but, of course, you're limited by the the studies that, that go into it. And in this case, I mean, like with a lot of medical stuff, 
you try to find the gold standard of research, which is your randomized controlled trials, you know, double blinded, ideally this kind of stuff. Are we taught what sort of studies are they doing in this kind of area that they these thirteen studies that they've they've narrowed it down to? Are they high quality studies or are they yeah, what what are they? They they are they are high quality studies and I think what they did here was not not they're not sort of surveys or anything like that. They're actual experimental studies where they've taken participants in groups, tried various things. Uh, exposed them to conspiracy theories that they didn't have opinions about before the experiment. So it is an actual experimental sort of cohort of studies. They're not just, you know, social surveys of what people already think or anything like that. So they're, they're pretty well set up psychological studies. So they are, you know, they've got before and after, they've got within group, they've got control groups and all that sort of thing. But it, obviously with... Uh, with what people think and what they believe, it is a bit harder to you know to to gauge than say a medical study. But but the studies that they've looked at are pretty high quality studies, and they that's why they excluded so many studies from the systematic review was because a lot of the other stuff wasn't focused on what they wanted to know, and it wasn't necessarily these kind of experimental before and after studies as well, which is what they're really focusing on. Right. Um, so they found uh, that very few intervention methods had a large effect on preventing an increase in conspiracy beliefs among the participants. And those that did involved an intervention before someone is exposed to the conspiracy ideas. So the ones that showed a big effect, you had to get in before people had actually learned about this conspiracy that they were testing for. They call this pre-bunking, I believe. Instead of debunking, it's pre-bunking. It's it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a sort of uh it's a clever name, but basically the three methods that had a large effect were uh what they called fact-based inoculation, um pseudoscience classes and logic-based inoculation. So fact-based inoculation showed the strongest effect in preventing conspiracy beliefs. And this involves giving participants specific information about a particular area where there's a conspiracy existing about that about that thing that you're that you're giving them information about. So that was that had the strongest effect. Um, pseudoscience classes is where they were given classes designed to give participants a better understanding of beliefs that sound scientific but are not science based and how to identify those pseudoscience uh, ideas when they're presented to the, to the people. So they're basically learning what to look for that sounds plausible, but it's not actually plausible. So there are, there are sort of key indicators of pseudoscience, and I think we've talked about that on the show before too. Um, and finally, the logic-based inoculation is based on general logical principles. So... I, you know, logical principles by which illogical claims and ideas can be identified rather than specific information about a topic. So ways of looking for logical fallacies in what people are saying is a way to, you know, be prepared for the presentation of conspiracy ideas. So those are the three that had the strongest effects 
Uh, and they had what these um, researchers termed a large effect. So it was, you know, a very, very strong effect and the probabilities were very low and all that sort of stuff that it was that it was incorrect. Now, other interventions had a medium effect, what they classed as a medium effect in conspiracy prevention, were also all prior to exposure to the conspiracy. Um, and they included things like anti-conspiracy arguments, you know, you present arguments against a conspiracy before you expose them to the conspiracy. And also, which is an interesting one too, resistance to persuasion training. So they get trained in ways to identify persuasive language and sort of fight against it, I suppose, and, and be uh, immune to it. So um, there was there was a, quite a few other things that had minor effects in reducing conspiracy thinking including things like debunking or ridiculing arguments, but also, and this this is, uh, I guess, a bit of a change, appealing to empathy doesn't seem to have a strong effect. So if you, if you ask people to think about the people that will be hurt by the conspiracy and all those sorts of things, doesn't actually seem to have a strong effect on on whether people up, take up a conspiracy belief or not, which is which is an interesting finding because it was a piece of advice that was kind of floating around fairly recently that, oh, that's one way to do it is appeal to their sort of humanity and appeal to their empathy. It doesn't seem to have a strong effect at all. Um, ultimately, what they found was the best way to prevent conspiracy thinking is to promote critical thinking in people before they are exposed to conspiracy ideas. And both specific and general logic and fact-based methods can do that, can actually prepare people to look for these things and look for faults in the in the arguments. It's really just a, you know, I mean, we uh, certainly when I was at school, we did used to have to do debates, and that was one of the things you were supposed to do in the debate was look for these logical flaws in the argument. That's something that seems to, according to this research, have a strong effect on helping prevent people from falling into these conspiracy ideas. And just on a personal note, it seems like this might be a good component to include in, say, compulsory school curriculums, uh, maybe maybe even in primary school. But um, I think certainly at some point in our schooling before we expect people to vote for anything, And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now where at the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science!
Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.